0: all right good morning everyone good morning let's stand together and sing because of your love god (laughs) is so good to us let's sing and tell him that we love him Good to us and loves us so much. Please be seated.
1: <laughs>
0: Where is that Jasper at?
1: He's hiding.
0: He's not, huh?
2: That one out too. Well, I wish he'd let me know that.
1: <laughs>
2: Good morning, Tucson Mountain.
3: Good morning.
2: Hey, you know what? If you're yeah. here with us for the first time, or the first time in a long time, we would ask that you fill out a guest registration card. Just let us know you're here. And we'll send you a thank you card back. And just let you know we appreciate your visit. And if you have any questions or concerns, you can contact us at any time. And that goes for those of you that have come on a regular basis, too. The announcements are in the bulletin. I'm not going to go over. You can see them. Just keep two things in mind. There's an upcoming church picnic in October. Keep that on your, put that on your calendar, be thinking about that. We need some manpower, we need some volunteers. We'll take care of the main dish, the hot dogs and hamburgers and buns, but we need you guys to bring side dishes, all right? So put that together. We're going to be doing that at BC Park on October 16th. The other thing is, please remember tomorrow the building needs a rest. So we're going to call it Laborless Day. <laughs> All right. Good. So offices are closed, school is shut down, ministry, staff, uh, they're like the Energizer Bunny, they can just keep going, but, you know, the buildings need a rest, okay? So we're going to take a little bit of time off tomorrow, so keep that in mind if you would. Don't try to come down here and call because nobody will probably answer the phone. All right. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just lift up this morning to you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We thank you for the blessings you bestow upon each one of us individually and corporately as this family of God. We pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives to draw us closer to you each and every day and help us become more and more like your son, Jesus, as we traverse these crazy waters we're traveling through right now. We pray that you'd strengthen us, encourage us, and empower us. That's the message today, strength, encouragement, and power. Keep those things in mind, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Pam, where are you? Oh, there you are. Okay, (laughs) You're hiding right in the front. No wonder I couldn't find you.
3: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. I always wanted to say, good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. (laughs) Um, I have had the privilege of working with five other people um, in search of a pastor. So um, this is the fourth of... So I'll just kind of read through it. You can follow along in your bulletins if you like. Um, The priority of God-directed leadership with kingdom vision. Powerful New Testament churches have a strong God-given kingdom-focused vision. So Proverbs 29.18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Ephesians 5.17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. While all biblical churches focus on the foundational purposes, applying them in their own setting requires God-directed vision. It is vital to find a pastor committed to seeking God's kingdom vision for the church, for vision needs to be both local and global. Thank you.
0: Amen. Thank you, Amen. Thank you Pam. And. I know most of you are. I want to remind you again, please continue to pray for all of us on the pastor search committee. Uh, You know, there will be many attempts by Satan to interfere with us and with the church and anything that it honors God and here in our church and in our lives. So um, we want to truly be dedicated, uh, our hearts sincere before God, and we need your prayers Uh, also and as you are praying for God to to uh, bring his will in our lives Um, I want to read a scripture uh, for us this morning related to worship and Thanksgiving this is from one of my favorite scriptures of all and one of my favorite Psalms for sure Uh, Psalm 103 just the first few verses bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the Lord O my soul And forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the Eagles amen amen Amen. Amen. let's continue singing (laughs) blessed assurance
1: Sure, it's Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste and glory divine! All is at rest. I am my Savior And happy and blessed wow.
0: All right, have you ever thought about that song as you're going through the day thinking I should be praising the Lord. This is my story and this is my song so I should be thinking about that. You know, sometimes we can just get busy with stuff and forget that we ought to be praying constantly, right? Giving thanks in all things. So it's good to remind each other of these things. You can remind me of it later, okay? <laughs> all right. We're going we're gonna to sing a song of praise to God, uh, remembering that he is above all things in this world. He is in control of all things. He is Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the one that has given us life and salvation. Let's praise him for that, above all.
1: Powers, above all peace, peace. treasures of the earth. There's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, laid behind the stone. You live to die, rejected Tried. You, you took the fall, and thought of me.
2: Wonderful having such great and talented musicians and singers. Yeah, keep them in mind. Hey, you know what? I, I just realized something. It helps if you read your notes before you come up here. Um, I did know Jasper wasn't going to be here, I just didn't remember it. Didn't like Craig now. I love you, brother. Yeah, he he always tells me, now remember, I'm the last one up there. Listen, if we could ask Jesus this morning, what do you think about what's going on in the church today? What do you think about what's going on in individual Christians' lives today? How do you think he would answer? Hmm, I thought about that. But fortunately, we don't have to worry about that. Because he tells us what he thinks each and every day. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His message is of hope, encouragement, strength, and empowerment. Just what I told you we're going to talk about today. His message that he shared with those first century churches is the same message that he gives his church in the 21st century today. Exactly the same. It's interesting to me that if you look at these messages to these seven churches, all these seven churches were different. They had different issues, different problems, different situations taking place. But the message that Jesus sent to each one of them through John's writings were so on track for churches of today. It's the same issues. The issues haven't changed. The situations haven't changed. It's just different, coming maybe from different places in some areas. We have to think about this. Last week we looked at the church of Ephesus, a church that was too busy, too busy to take time to truly worship God the way they should and worship Jesus the way they should. Today we're going to look at a suffering church. What does Jesus say to a suffering church? If you think about this, there's really no condemnation in in this particular church's letter. It's very brief, just a few verses. But there's really no condemnation. (coughs) You know, suffering is just a part of it. It's gonna be there. There's no way to get away from suffering. So, we're all gonna suffer some, maybe some more, maybe some less. But it's going to be there. Sometimes it's not just our suffering that we're thinking about. Sometimes it's the suffering of another family member, or a friend, or a coworker, or or people around the world that maybe we don't even know and we just wonder why they are suffering. What is the purpose behind the suffering? We don't always get to see that. But Jesus says in these verses, in these few short verses, He gives us some things to really think about. And he tells us some things that we should keep in mind and some things that we can do. So Jesus says the very first thing, he says, I know. I know. Let's read verses 8 and 9. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Listen, we just sang about it. Jesus Christ understands suffering. You know, he it, he's went through all the difficulties we can ever think about going through. The church in Smyrna was right smack dab in the middle of the city. And it's interesting because it was another large port city, very similar to Ephesus. But they were very prideful people there. And around the center of the church in Ephesus for the Christians was, they called it the crown. The street was named Golden Street. And they called it the crown because this circle came around the city and on... a Various places around that circle, there was other temples, the false gods, foreign gods. Temples set for Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. All those mythological gods that we hear about. All those temples around Golden Street. We're going to talk about that in a little greater detail. The city itself was said to be one of the most beautiful cities in Asia at the time. They were very proud of that. They were, they were very proud of their temple to those false gods, and they were very proud of their city. They had a lot of culture. They were very rich, just like we were talking about on that, uh, singing about that song a minute ago. Do you think those Christians, as they walked, On those city streets. Felt a little inadequate. It says they were poor. And we're going to talk about why they were poor in a few minutes. They were outcast. From their. Fellow citizens of that city. Jesus said to them the same thing. Then that he says to us today. I know. I know as Christians. The thing you're suffering. The things you're going through. He sees what's happening in our life each and every day. He knows what's going on. Jesus and God know absolutely everything about us. They even know more about us than we know about us. Which is probably good, but we don't think so sometimes. He says the thing you need to remember... Whatever is happening in your life, whatever persecution you're facing, whatever suffering you're having, you are not going through it alone. He reminds us of that time and time again. He knows and understands every detail of your life. Every single detail. When Jesus said, I know to this church, he's not saying that you're not going to hurt. He says, I know you're suffering because number one, you're being falsely accused. You're poor. He understands what it's like for people to have power over his physical life, or think they have power over his physical life, and act like they have absolute power because it happened to him. We've been in situations where sometimes that happens to us. Now admittedly he had the power to strike back, we don't, right? Jesus knows what it's like to be ridiculed. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows, he he, he understands what it feels like to be whipped and beaten and have a crown of thorns stuck on his head till he bleeds. He understands those feelings of hurt. He wants us to know and understand that he knows and understands. What? We went through, because he went through some of those same things. Jesus understands, and he offers us that hope, that encouragement, that empowerment, that strength, that we each and every one need. But there's a second thing he says. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Let's read 10 and 11. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. At all. You know, one of the most common phrases... That Jesus and God tell the people, His people, is do not be afraid. There's a lot to be fearful of in this world. But He says, Yet, I don't want you to be afraid because I am there with you. When Jesus says, Don't be afraid, He's not saying, Ignore it. He's not saying the suffering itself is not real. He's not saying it's not going to be painful. He's not saying those things because if you say those things and you act upon those things that way, then you're living in denial. He wants you to live in reality. He gives us a reality statement when he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. He says the suffering is going to come. I want you to be aware of it, but don't be afraid anyway. He tells us that straight up. The second half of the verse reminds me of some things. He says, don't don't be afraid because you're not going to suffer. He says, be aware that you are going to suffer. He says, I want you to be active and ready and prepared. He says, even when you're facing suffering, I'll be there with you. You know, there's times, everybody's afraid of something. We often don't know what it is until we're confronted with it. But everybody's afraid of something. Even in the midst of all our fear, all our anxiety, he says, Don't be afraid. And then he gives us two things to hang our hat on in regard to that. He says, Trust me. Trust me. He says, Don't be afraid. He says, I don't, I'm not saying don't feel anything, you know a lot of people out there think that not being afraid is not feeling the fear. He says that's not true. He said you may feel the fear but he says I don't want you to be afraid because I'm going to be right there with you. He says trust me in everything. He says that you can trust me to take care of you through it all. Every day, every hour, every minute. Every second. He's not promising that everything in our life is going to be great. He's not promising. What was that, what was that old movie? Never promised you a rose garden. You know, he, He's not promising us that. He says suffering is going to come. What kind of suffering? I personally cannot tell you. Because each one of us have different kinds of suffering. He's not telling you your life is going to turn out perfect. But he's promising us that no matter what you go through, he will be right there with us. He says live by faith and in faith. He said there's going to come times when, when you feel like your back is against the wall and you're tired and you're weary and you're worn and you're fearful. But he says, I'm telling you, I'm right there. I haven't left you. I'm going to be right there with you. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer because I'll be there. It means that we have to realize and understand that Jesus is going to take care of us. And we have to settle some of that in our mind prior to. Prior to anything coming up. And that's sort of what we're going to target in today. Listen, faith is the decision not to deny fear. But it's to move ahead despite the fear. Because you can get stuck. There's a lot of times in life that we either have that fight or flight syndrome. Well, there's another one that comes along. It's fight or flight or freeze And the freeze is what we don't want to do. And that's what he's telling us. Don't be fearful. The second thing he tells us is do not worry. Now listen, this one can conjure up all kinds of things in our minds. We should not think about or worry about things that have not happened yet. When you do that, that's called Worry. And most of you, if not all of you, know what Scripture says about worry. It says don't do it. (laughs) Listen, God doesn't give me or give you the strength to face a problem until we're faced with the problem. Here's how it goes. You come along and you say, you know... And, and I, I don't want to offend anyone or hurt anyone, but we have to talk about some of these things sometimes. Lord, I, 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 I'm afraid I'm going to get cancer. I'm afraid I'm going to get cancer and I'm going to be really, really sick. He's not going to give you anything if you're thinking about it and worrying about it until you need it. And then you get cancer and say, well, Lord... What happened? <laughs> and then we say Lord I'm afraid I'm going to lose my spouse through divorce. And it's just we, we just can't keep the marriage together. And then when it happens you say Lord what happened? Or maybe it's a job. Lord I'm scared to death I'm going to lose my job. And then when you lose your job it's like Lord, why do I lose my job? Have you ever asked yourself as you're working on a self fulfilling prophecy there? Because you worry about things that are non existent to start with? See, but he can't give us those assurances in life, those situations and those circumstances, until we actually need them. When we're faced with those decisions that we must make then he will give us the strength and the courage to understand that he's right there with us. And that no matter what happens, you know, the worst thing can be thrown at us and we can still make it through if Christ is with us. But we have to settle some things in our mind first. It's funny because if we think about this, in America... This is probably one of the things we struggle with the most. We struggle with the possibility of persecution before there ever is any persecution. The reality of persecution or the actuality of persecution. But we struggle with what are we going to do? We struggle with what might happen or what might somebody say or do to me if I take a a godly right stand. We gotta get over that. The days are coming, I think. There are those, and I got it on your bulletin, I'm pretty sure. There are those who have had a lapse of integrity in life because of what they thought somebody might think or do if they stood up for their faith. Are you ready to do what it said in 10 and 11? Are you prepared? in your mind and your heart? Listen, we are going to probably suffer some things. I can't sit here and tell you what kind of things you're going to suffer. But we're all probably going to suffer some things. And there's a little bit of differentiation in suffering. Whatever you suffer, He's going to be there to give you that strength, to give you that power, to give you that encouragement so that you can go through that suffering. He doesn't say he's going to take the suffering away. He doesn't promise that anywhere in Scripture. Actually, in James, he says, be prepared for it because trials and tribulations are coming. What they are, I don't know. Some of you are sitting there and say, well, where can I build some confidence and strength in in, in going through this? Start reading Psalms number three. Psalms number three is about when David was was, ran out of his kingdom by his son Absalom. Absalom was going to take over the kingdom. His whole family had turned against him. He was running for his life. Absalom comes in and says, you know what? Pop, you're out. I'm in. He's old. He's tired. He's worn. This wasn't one of the kind of false worries that I was talking about a minute ago. These were dark days for David. Now listen to this. Psalms 3, 5, and 6. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Here's David says there's tens of thousands drawn up against him. They're trying to kill him. And what assurance does he say he has? I'm confused. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Um, I think he had a lot more to worry about than most of us. But yet, he says, what's sufficient for me is that I lied down last night. I laid down last night. I slept. I got up this morning. I'm here. Sometimes, that's all we need. He said, that's all the assurance I need. Why would God let me lay down last night and sleep and allow me to wake up this morning if He didn't have a plan and a purpose for my life? He says, that's enough assurance for me. That God has got a plan. It reminds me that God made me and I have to start with the little, simple, small things in life to show my faith. It's just a small, simple little thing that David said right there. But it was very, very important. It was key. Listen, you're, you, you can get up in the morning, you can go outside, you can see the sunshine. it can shine down on you, you can say, what a great, wonderful, and powerful God we have. What a What a wonderful creator. You can go out at night and you can look at the stars and the moon and the sky and, and hear the critters outside and you can say, You know what? What an awesome God. We have to remember. But here's here's the dilemma. We cannot philosophize ourselves or move ourselves out of fear without God being a part of that equation it is physically impossible spiritually impossible he gives us strength so that we can re- realize and remember who Jesus is who his son is there's seven truths in just these few verses i want you to listen to this and think about this he gives us strength to face our fears because he's these things he's eternal He's the first and the last. He's victorious. He was victorious on the cross so that we can be victorious when we get to go home. We're just foreigners traveling through this place. He's resurrected. He's alive, and he's a well, correct? I need to hear some amens there. He says, "I know, I know. He is all-knowing, all-wise. He says, you think you're poor, but yet you are rich. He said, you're rich because you have me. He said, you have rewards waiting that you know nothing about. He's sovereign. He says, for 10 days, you're going to suffer. That's just a short time period. He says, you're going to suffer for 10 short days, but then it's going to be over. He lets them know in advance. He said, even when you're suffering, I will still be in control. He tells us that in that verse. I'm still in control because it's only to last 10 days. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Even though you may know you're going to suffer, you might suffer, you will suffer, don't be afraid. He'll always be there. A third thing he tells, he says is, I tell you. I tell you. I tell you. Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Listen, he's the light of the world. And I need his light to navigate this crazy world we live in. And when we come through that suffering, to realize... That he shines that light before me so I can traverse through that and go through it. He's the light of the world. He gives us the light of life. We don't have to go through that suffering in darkness or alone. God's word is filled with light. God's light shines the light on all the different kinds of sufferings. That we might have. He names four of them right here. He says number one is poverty. I know of your poverty. Why were Christians in such a rich town so poor? Because they were Christians. They were being persecuted financially, economically. They were being ostracized, if you would because they were Christians and professing to be Christians. What does it say in Scripture in the rest of Revelation that we're going to read about that happening in the latter days? And in Daniel? It's going to happen. The second one is slander. He says, I know the slander of those who are in the city. Jesus tells them, you know what? I know you're being slandered. I know mean, hurtful things are being said about you. Number three is prison. These are the kinds of sufferings that we might also have to suffer. You know, it's interesting, if you think about it, down through the centuries, there's been a lot of Christians who have seen the inside walls of a prison for their faith. Some of them became Christians because of those prison walls. Most of the apostles had been in prison and seen those walls. And the last one is death. Death. He says, be faithful even to the point of death. Listen, because of our faith and living in the U.S., probably the worst one we face is slander. How do you think you'd face the other three? Any one of the other three? Would you have the intestinal fortitude to stand up and say, I'm a Christian? Would you be able to face the persecution that comes because of that? Jesus brings light to the persecution of those Christians over 2,000 plus years ago. And he tells us, don't be afraid. I'm going to be right there with you. And he says there's four sources... Of that persecution, where it comes from, and he shares those with us. And he's these are not just in the church of Smyrna; these are worldwide. They're a little different today than they were then, but they're still similar. He says the very first one is persecution is going to come from the powerful. The most powerful being then was the Roman government. The Roman government come along and says you must bow down and worship Caesar. And if you didn't, then you were in trouble. In our country, the government may not be the strongest and most absolute power structure anymore. I want you to hear me out before you think I'm wrong. Business is often more powerful than government. Some of you have suffered much more from business than you have from government. What I mean by that? You may have been persecuted in your job. You may have had your integrity questioned or challenged because of your jobs. That's what I'm talking about. It seems that business has more freedom to push those limits with us as Christians than government does sometimes. But the greatest power source in the country is something that a lot of us don't always think about. It's the media. It's the media. It's interesting to me that those people that are powerful, that are maybe making the laws and making all those big decisions are being outpaced by the media. The fact is that those who report the news are often more powerful than those that make the news. Think about this. How they chose, how those powerful individuals choose to tell the news often relegates how we hear it and how others determine how it reflects on us as Christians. Those power centers can choose to report that Christians are bigoted. They're hard-hearted. They can choose to report that they're poor workers. Or maybe they can choose to report that, you know what, one of the things that takes place is, is those Christians don't belong in a particular job or a particular place or setting. So therefore, then what happens? Persecution comes in those particular areas. So that's something we have to think about. The media. The second thing is the culture. The source of persecution comes from our prevailing culture. It did it in those days too. Listen, Smyrna had the temple of Tiberius. Beautiful temple. They actually fought to have that temple for the Emperor Tiberius in their city. And they were able to have it. It identified them as a special city. But what took place, all those worshippers in the temple, Tiberius, say, look at those Christians over there. They're saying, don't bow down to Caesar. Don't bow down to Tiberius. Who do they think they are? They can't do that. Our current culture says we're worshiping Tiberius. They can't do that. The way our culture is going, we want to worship Caesar and Tiberius. Those Christians over there, who do they think they are? Is that not what's happening today in the 21st century? Why don't you guys think about this? What is the prevailing current culture telling you to accept as Christians? What is it telling us that we need to what do we need to accept? All the things I don't have to mention them you know what they are. They don't fit in. Guess what guys? We don't fit in in a lot of places as Christians we often don't fit in. Some places the world will tolerate us but in the name of tolerance they really don't want to deal with us. Another place it comes from is the jealous. Our persecution can sometimes come from the jealous. This is probably one of the most hurtful ones personally, individually, and corporately that we can have. When that persecution comes from people who are jealous of any Christian. Now, the Christians in Ephesus were making inroads. The Christians here in Smyrna were making inroads. They were making progress. But they were jealous of the progress they were making. And, and who was it? Well, in Smyrna, it was the rest of the Jews that were jealous. But here today, it might be some of your closest friends or family that become jealous of any success you have. So, they will start to slander you. They will start to stab you in the back. Those type of things, because it's coming from a friend, not a foe, are more hurtful. And then finally, the evil one, Satan. 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 Jesus said the devil is going to put some of you in prison to test you. The ultimate source of all suffering, the ultimate source of pain and persecution for Christians, we don't understand some of that sometimes. Christians in the rest of the world, we need to pray for them. Because they are under severe persecution in some areas that we just do not comprehend. We need to be praying and lifting them up to God every day. However, Satan is just as real here in the United States as he is in Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran and China, North Korea, South Korea, all those other places where Christians are under persecution. Here's the problem. I think because we live in such a country... And I praise God that we live in the country we live in. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we somehow get in mind, in our mind, that we're not behind the enemy's lines. I don't care where you live in the world, you're behind the enemy's lines. As long as you're alive in this fleshly body, you're behind the enemy lines. And we have to be prepared for that. We have to live like we're behind the enemy lines. We have to be aware says this about Satan. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, if you're not under persecution from one of those other three, Satan is always trying to persecute you. We need to keep that in mind. Number four, he says be faithful. Be faithful. Listen, there's no guarantee in me or in you that you're going to be faithful. Why? Because I'm weak. You're weak. I struggle. You struggle. All these things that we face and we look at, when tough times hit, they can sometimes overwhelm us. But he says, you know what? Don't be afraid. I tell you, I'm with you. Listen to what I'm saying. If you're sitting here this morning and when you became a Christian, you expected everything to turn out hunky-dory and rosy and everything's just going to be great. Somebody lied to you (laughs) along the way. And I apologize for that on all Christendom. If you expect or believe that God owes you a perfect life, you're going to be sadly disappointed. You're going to be in it for a big surprise. You might come along and say, well, God, you let me down. When I became a Christian, I expected this. I expected my life was going to be like this and everything's going to be great. And it's not. And what are you going to do? You're going to turn around and you're going to walk away. And when you do, that's going to be a sad mistake. Because God said he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness and he is will never leave us, nor forsake us. But you might try to walk away from Him. So that means we have to do something. Right here, right now, this morning, if you haven't already decided that in your mind, in your heart, you need to settle that if you're going to be faithful or not. First Corinthians 1.9 says, God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is Faithful. Now listen, here's why. Faithful means you trust God to keep His promises. And He'll walk with you through all of it all the time. He told us in the Bible, didn't He, that we were going to share everything with His Son? Do you think that did not mean that you were going to have to suffer? He promised us that we were going to have to suffer also, because we're going to share in everything. See, sometimes we don't read the whole thing. We don't put it together. He promised we'd share in everything that includes Jesus' sufferings. Yet the best part is obviously when we get to go to heaven. We read that and we think, you know what, I don't know about that first part, but I sure like that second part. I'm ready for that second part. I get to share everything with his son, including his sufferings, but only while I'm here on earth. When I get to go to heaven, obviously I'm going to share all the blessings with him. None of us like the suffering part, but we sure like that heaven part. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says this, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He tells us no matter what problems you face, what situations you're in, that even if you go through suffering, even if you go through persecution, he will protect you from the evil one. That's something he's guaranteeing us. He's promising us that. You know, you, you need to know about this guy. I don't know how many of you study the historical facts of the Bible. But you need to know about this guy named Polycarp in Smyrna. Polycarp, Polycarp was probably uh, one of the pastors that were there to start with. And he eventually became the lead pastor at the Church of Smyrna. But he's in his old age now. Let me correct that. Older age now. <laughs> And it's been said that Polycarp, can can you imagine getting the letter that came to the church at Smyrna? And, you know, it's Jesus basically gave it to John, John gave it to the church, wrote it out, and can you imagine getting that letter? I bet you they looked at that letter a long time. And Polycarp read that letter over and over and over again and it's reported that on the 22nd day of February in 156 A.D., outside the city of Smyrna, he was captured by the Roman government. And he was brought in before the proconsul in the amphitheater. This was a big to-do. And they said, you know, Polycarp, we know you're old, Dur. <laughs> and if you would just bow down and bow to Caesar, We'll let it all go and it'll all be okay. Because we know, you know. Polycarp said this. It's one of the most famous historical statements that has been made in regard to faith. He said, eighty and six years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That's faithfulness. And because of that, he was burned at the stake. God's been faithful to me for all these years. He's done me no wrong. How can I betray Him now? How long's it been for you? Forty and six years, thirty and six years, forty and six months, thirty and six months, a year and six months. How long have you served? There might be a hundred people in here right now. If we've each served on the average of ten years. There's a thousand years plus of faithfulness from God to us. How can I turn on him now? How can I be unfaithful to him now? He's done me no wrong. I can't be unfaithful. He's faithful to us in ways we don't even, can't even imagine. Listen, our lives may not be perfect. But he'll always be there. He'll always be faithful to protect us. When you settle that issue of faithfulness, you are prepared to meet the suffering and persecution that may come. But you have to prepare for it first. Final thing he says is, I will give you. I will give you. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Listen. (laughs) <laughs> There's things going on in this world that we as believers cannot fathom. We don't make sense to us. They are just, it's like Fruit Loops sometimes, right? <laughs> I mean, you've got to be honest about some of this stuff. They don't make sense. But he says, when you suffer, he said, I want you to know I'm going to, I understand. I'm right there with you. You're not going to find the answer in this world. Because the answer to those questions about why is all this suffering and persecution going on for believers can only be found in heaven. The answer is only going to come on the day that he places that crown of life on your head. I think about those Christians in Smyrna walking that golden street. And they're walking down that golden street and I think, how inferior must they have felt? As they're walking down this street and, and all these other people are persecuting them or slandering them or, you know, you know, look, there goes another Christian. They were poor. They were weak. They were weary. But you know, That's not the end of the story. One day we're going to walk a golden street in heaven. One day we're going to share in the blessings, not just the persecution of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine all that God has prepared for you in heaven? Can you think of all the stuff that he's got ready for you to do? sometimes it boggles my mind he says I know what you're going through you know when we talk about persecution there's a couple of different types of persecution sometimes persecution that we face is because of we just live in the world it has nothing to do with our Christianity we're just here right that's just called life don't know how else to say it Another kind of persecution is when we do something we know we shouldn't do or we don't do something we know we should do and then we pay a price for it. That may cause some suffering or persecution, but that's called sin. Now the third thing is is when we take a godly stand for what's right and then we face spiritual persecution. That's true Persecution. There's a difference in the persecutions and the sufferings. Persecutions and struggles are a part of this world. There's no way out of it. But he says he'll always be there. He knows what we're going through. We need to listen to him. He says, I'm going to one day give you a crown of life. And in that crown of life, you're going to get your rest. Rest. That's something we ought to look forward to. Let's pray. Father, we want to trust you with everything we have. At one point in our life, most of us, if not all of us in this room, have come before you and said, Lord, I I want you in my life. I trust you with my life. I need you to lead my life because I'm not capable of leading it myself. Jesus, we don't want to run from those tough times when they come. We don't want to be the kind of believer that trusts in you only when everything's going good, going well. We want to trust you even when things are not turning out the way we expected them to. We want to be the kind of people that not only share in your glories, but share in Christ's sufferings. Help us, prepare us mentally, physically, spiritually to be able to endure and do that. I pray that if there's anyone that has been struggling with that decision, that they would make that decision today. Father, help us have the strength and the power and encouragement that we need to serve you rightly pray that right now if there's anyone here that needs to settle that that decision of faithfulness that they would do that please put in our hearts and our minds that you promise us that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us that you're always there for us and one day, one day we're looking forward to the day we get to come and be with you And celebrate on that golden street for all of eternity. Now, Father, we love you and we praise you. And we just lift up these prayers to you. And we ask that if anyone is here today and they haven't made a decision to accept you as Savior, that they would just step forward and share that with me. And and we'll talk to them about that and prepare their hearts for that. If they made that decision to accept you as Savior, but they've never been baptized... That's the first step of obedience, Lord. We want to follow in your footsteps and you were baptized through immersion. We want to do that in honor of you. It represents our burial or our life, death and resurrection into a new life just like you did. And Father, if they've been coming for a while and they're looking for a church family, a church home, I don't know what a better one on this side of town. In this area. We are to be part of a local body of believers. And Father, we encourage those that need to do that today to also step forward and tell us. Father, I just pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of any things that we've just been struggling with. We we lay them at your feet. We give them to you, Lord, so we can walk away from here refreshed and revived and renewed through your word and through the understanding that even though a lot of people consider this a scary book, scary letters, that it's all a book about hope and encouragement and your love for us. And we ask these things and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen if you can and would stand please. Some of you have had questions about if you are members or if you are not members, what does membership entail? Um, Here in the next two or three weeks, as an additional Sunday school class, Bible study class, right after worship service, we're going to do a four or five week membership class. So if you have not come to that and you would like to come to that, it will be in the May classroom right after service. Um, Watch your bulletin for the start date. Um, We've got most of it already prepared, and I'll be leading that right after Bibles, uh, right after main service. And we'll be doing it as a secondary Bible study. It will be a very short study, uh, time frame, it'll only be four or five weeks, okay? But if you're not sure what membership means, or if you haven't, uh, or not sure if you're a member, and you would like to become a member. We're going to open it up that way. And if you are a new member that's just recently joined in the last 18 months, 19 months, please uh, make available yourself to come to that class. I think it would be beneficial. Okay. Thank you, guys. Doing a great job. I love it.
0: All right. Um, I want everybody just to look around them a little bit. See if anybody, see if you see anybody that looks as good as you do. (laughs) What? (laughs) No. Ben, you can look in any direction. It's not going to matter. I I, I meant because you're so handsome. That's what I meant. Um, I want to begin to encourage us more and more to meet uh, people that we don't know. Uh, If you see someone you don't know their name, of course, you may have met them. You can't remember your name. That happens to me all the time. Don't be embarrassed. Um, When people, people come back to me and say, I forgot your name, it's like, at least you care you know at least you want to know so uh try to meet somebody new every week and and say hello introduce yourself and let's get to know each other better and better I know it's hard when they're on all opposite sides and stuff and you probably have to go all the way back to meet my wife because she's not going to leave her chair but some people are shy and some people aren't but that's okay we'll do our best right keep getting to know each other let's sing as we go how majestic is your name
1: Majestic is stick your name, name in all the earth. Oh Lord, Lord, how majestic is your name stay somebody new on your way out.